stretches through Habakkuk 2, and then makes its way all throughout the biblical narrative to Romans 3, to Galatians 4. The righteous will live by faith. Righteousness isn't anything that we do, but it's been given to us, and the faith is the gift of God he gives us to make our way through this life. And so what does it look like for us to live by faith and to make those decisions? Well, I think we see it as we continue our journey through the book of Ruth, right? Just a refresher for last week. Remember Ruth? Uh, Ruth is an individual. She now is just with her mother-in-law. Her mother-in-law has lost her husband. He's lost her, she's lost her two sons. One of the daughters-in-law leaves them. And so now Ruth, without resource, without provision, only has her mother-in-law, and they make their way back to a foreign land. And where we left last week, all we hear is the commitment that Ruth has to her mother-in-law, who now is so sad and embittered, she has literally changed her name to Mara. And she says, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And she'll nothing but death separate us. We left at the commitment. We continue on in Ruth to, to see the hero. His name, Boaz. Boaz comes, and what does Boaz do? He decides, he sees Ruth, he sees Ruth's mother-in-law, and he says, I'm going to provide for you. You come into my field, take all that you need, and then come back. All through Ruth 2, we see Boaz continually being generous and providing for these two women that have nothing, that have no one. We pick up in Ruth 3, and we see Boaz wanting to up his commitment. He, is, he isn't just wanting to be generous, he also sees something in Ruth. He sees a, a, a sparkle in his eye, you might be able to say. And so he's like, I, I don't want just to provide for you, I want to be there with you, and I want to love you, including your mother-in-law. And so what does he do? He ups the ante, and he not only says, I want to provide for you, but I'm also willing to stand up for you and to marry you. And so he begins to woo her, much like Lauren here, I'm the extrovert, she's the introvert. She loves that I'm talking about her right now when I'm gonna, it's, a, it's the giving her flowers. It's the making sure that she has lemonade in the refrigerator right now from Trader Joe's, pasteurized, I should remind you. It's, um, it's in the mornings, it's the McAllister's half and half tea or half and half tea from Chick-fil-A is the preference with multiple, multiple lemons. That pandemic, it was a national nightmare because of the lemon shortage that happened. Um, but nevertheless, it's the wooing, that, the wooing that happens. And this is exactly what Boaz was doing. He was upping his commitment. But then in the Hebraic system during this time, what, what he had to realize and what, what made Boaz such a strong man is he realized if he wanted to up his commitment and if he wanted to marry Ruth, what he was going to have to do is he had to realize, one, even though he had an opportunity to, there was somebody else that had the right to. In the Jewish system, there was somebody else that had the right to marry. But here's the thing. All we know about this person in Ruth 4, we don't know his name. All we know is he already has a family, and we, we know that he already has a lot of assets tied up. And to be able to marry Ruth and to take Ruth and all that she is, he would have to give up everything else. And what do we see with this individual? He doesn't. He doesn't. But what do we see with Boaz? He goes in the city gates and says, 
if no one else is willing to speak for her, I will take her and she will be mine and I will be hers. I will provide for her. I will bless her. He took the risk. He gave, he risked everything that he had. He risked his standing in the community and says, Ruth is mine. Here's what's so interesting when we look at the story of Ruth that I want us to be able to trace and see. There are three needs that get identified as we see the last three chapters of Ruth. The first, there is a need for us when we make sacrifices, when we take risks, there is a need to have allies. We need allies. We need people to come alongside us and to champion us. We need people to come alongside us and support us. We need a Boaz. We need Boazes in our life. That's, a, that's difficult to say, especially Tennessee. Uh, we need Boazes in our lives, right? And here's the reality, though. Here in the U.S., a lot of people are lonely right now. A Cigna study identified that upwards of 51% of Americans classified themselves as lonely. Isn't that fascinating? 51% now after the pandemic in 2022 study out of Cigna. The average American 25 years ago had 3.6 friends. Friends being someone that you can turn to with difficulty and share great news with or share bad news with. That number has dropped to 1.7 now. Smoke, uh, Harvard Medical School has identified classifying yourself as lonely is like smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Individuals are lonely, and we've seen that for the past three years. They need allies. You know, what I, one of the biblical stories that I absolutely love the most when you see the picture of an ally is an individual named Abishai and Joab. They go into battle together, and then when they realize they go into battle together in 2 Samuel, they realize that they're surrounded. They have 20,000 men, and they have 20,000 men, and then all of a sudden the Ammonites and everyone have recruited 40,000 men to circle them. And you know what I love about this picture? Literally, Joab has, has Abishai's back. Abishai has Joab's back. They're surrounded. They're outnumbered two to one. And what does Joab say? Joab says, if it's too strong for me, you come and help me. If it's too strong for you, I'll come and help you. But, but may God do what's right. Isn't that incredible? He had somebody that had his back. A brother was born for adversity, it says in Proverbs 18. We need allies in this world. We need Boazes when we're making those sacrifices. We, when we're making those decisions about walking by faith that looks uncertain, not knowing the next step on the staircase, we need people to come alongside us and say, you not only can take that step, but that step is a good step for you to take. It may be difficult, it may be uncertain, but I believe in you. But more importantly, I believe in the God that's guiding you in this. We need Boaz's. One, we need friends. We need allies. Second, the, the second piece is very interesting. We need courage, right? There had to be great courage for Ruth to be able to stick with her daughter, stick with her mother-in-law, right? Ruth was a woman of great courage. Boaz was a man of 
great courage when he went into the city streets and, and he proclaimed, Ruth is mine and I am willing to be the kinsman redeemer, the, the family member that takes care of her and provides for her. We need courage. You know, there, it's fascinating that sometimes we think courage is the absence of fear when making a decision. What I love is Mark Twain, he has this phrase, uh, Twain says, uh, courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the mastery over fear. Um, uh, it's, it, it's just not a reality to say there will be no fear in this world, right? There are many things to be frightful of, to be scared of. But courage is understanding that there's, there is fear, but there's a mastery over it. Probably one of the most fast, uh, one of my favorite studies as of late was out of Marquette University. What they, they identified 30 people, and they asked those 30 people, I want you to write out your fears that you have every day for the next six months. You can list as many as you want or as few as you want. Fears being everything from, uh, uh, I'm, worried about this, I'm worried about this doctor's visit. I'm worried about my kid. I'm worried about, I'm, I'm worried about my job. I'm worried about life. I'm worried about my marriage. I'm like all of the, they asked them to list all their fears every single day. And then at the end of six months, they, went, they had to go through their lists with the interviewer, they went through their list and they said, did this fear happen? Did this fear come to, come to fruition? You know what they found? 87% of the lists never happened. 87%. 87%. How often is it true that we have so many fears that run through our lives and just circle like movie credits. But how many of them actually happen? And then to take it even further, we have a God, it says in John 10, that holds us in the palm of his hands. And here's how strong his hand is, that nail-scarred hand, that nothing can separate us from him and nothing gets to us that isn't for our good. Even it says in Matthew 24 that says that God has given permission for the enemy to thresh Peter during a time. Even the enemy himself had to ask permission of God to do anything to him. But then here's the even more stinging thing that we can learn. That, the thing, that God will not allow anything to happen to us that will not produce his best for us. He has plans to prosper us. He has plans for our good. But sometimes good means painful. A, a quote that always sticks in my head that runs on repeat is from C.S. Lewis. He says, um, it's not that I ever doubted that God had good for me. I just didn't know how painful good was going to be. Sometimes it's hard. And sometimes it's painful. But all the times God is good. He will never allow anything to happen to us that won't continue to keep us on those plans that he has for us that are for prosperity and not for our harm. One, we need allies. We need people that are coming beside us to champion us and support us on this thing called life. 
Two, we need courage, not the absence of fear, but the mastery over fear. And then three, we need a reason to risk. You know, Boaz needed a reason to take a risk. And that reason, Ruth. He needed a reason to take a risk up until that point, willing to turn away from everything that he had, his standing, his riches. He needed a reason to take that risk, and he found it. And what did he do? Because he had the courage, because he had the allies, he took the risk. You know, it's fascinating. I very much love risks. Some people that I live with are not as comfortable with risk. <laughs> and I'm learning to manage that. But here's the here's the fascinating, here's another fascinating study. It was um it was, I believe it was out at University of Illinois. Um, and what they found is that America they, the working hypothesis that were Americans were more risk adverse today. We're just less willing to take risks. And so what they found is, what they decided is they were going to open an open call. Anybody that has facing a significant decision but is paralyzed by it, I want, you to, I want you to send in your request. We'll flip a coin on a computer, and then you have to do whatever the coin says. So yes or no, stick with the status quo or break from it. A significant decision being everything from moving your job, moving to a new house, buying the car, asking the person to marry you, etc. So big decision, paralyzed, send in your request, they'll flip the coin, you have to make the decision, and then in turn you have to follow up after six months. You know what they found? 35,000 Americans said we're facing a significant decision and I'm willing to allow a stranger to click a button on a computer <laughs> to, to make the decision for me. Isn't that fascinating? 35,000 Americans. You know what they found? Fascinating. You know what they found? The vast majority of individuals, regardless of if the outcome was for their positive or for a negative, regardless of outcome, were happy they took the risk. Isn't that fascinating? They were happy, regardless of the outcome, that they had taken the risk. You know, uh, in the scriptures, it says in Matthew 13 that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man finds and goes and hides again and sells everything, risks everything to purchase the field. The life of faith is the life to take the risk. And you know what? We have a reason to take a risk. Why? We, have a, we, we follow a God named Jesus that took a risk on us. What did he do? He loved us so much that he was willing to send his only begotten son. That even when we didn't agree with him, even when we didn't love him, in, Col in Colossians 1 it says that we were an enemy of him. Even when we were an enemy of him, he sent his only son because he, he thought we were worth the risk. Not only were we worth the risk, but he says in Exodus 19 that we're the tre his treasured possession. It says in uh, Psalm 17, 8, it says that we're the apple of his eye. We're the beloved in whom there is no fault in Song 4, Song of Songs 4. He loves us greatly. He died for us gruesomely. And he was resurrected gloriously. He, was, he thought we were worth the risk. And in turn, he's asking us to take a risk and follow after him.
But here's the beautiful thing. This side of eternity, we know risks don't always work out, right? We know sometimes we can make those big decisions and make those choices, and sometimes they don't work out. But the beautiful thing is when you take a risk to follow after Jesus, it always works out. Why? Because he who started a good work sees it to completion. He provides for our every need in Christ Jesus according to his glorious riches in heaven. He's not only worth the risk, but he's gone ahead and taken the first step because he loves us before we ever loved him. And his love for us, it says that it's perfect and it is everlasting in Jeremiah 31.3. He's worth the risk. So I'm standing there, 200 feet above water in the jungle in Phuket, Thailand. And I realized there's no way I'm going down that thing. And I had to jump. And lo and behold, I jumped. And I said some things I probably wouldn't repeat today. <laughs> and when my head dipped the water and then it jumped back up, I was incredibly grateful that I took the risk because it was a moment I will never forget and a picture of my life and what I need to be doing, which is taking risks and walking by faith for him, knowing my God is not in the business of hurting people. Let's pray. God, I love you, and I thank you so much for this opportunity and for the time that you've given us today. And Father, I know that you're calling us to walk by faith, not by sight. And sometimes that means taking risks. Um, but we also know that we need courage, Father. That we need allies, we need friends. And we need a reason. You've given us a reason, Father. You've given us a purpose, and you've given us a mission. So Father, help us to be reminded of that, help us to be able to walk boldly in that, and help us to not have to walk alone in it as well. Provide allies for us, courage within us, and Father, be reminded of the joy that is following after you for your glory and for our good and for this world's beauty. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.